All right, let's go ahead and open in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come together and look at your word. We thank you for the fellowship that we have and that each person that is here. We ask that you guide and lead us into what you'd have us to see in this, this psalm of history again. In your son's name, amen. amen. Psalm 106. We're going to read through the whole psalm. This one's a, as long as the last one that we spent four or five weeks in. Praise you the Lord, O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can show forth all his praise? Blessed are they that keep judgment, and he that does righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, with the favor that you bear unto your people. O visit me with your salvation, that I may see the good of your chosen, that I may rejoice in in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory in in your inheritance." We have sinned with our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. Our fathers understood not the wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of your mercies, but provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for his namesake, that he might make his mighty power be known. He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it was dried up, so that they led them through the depths as through the wilderness. And he saved them from the hand of him that hated them and redeemed them from the hand of their enemy. And the waters covered their enemies and there was not one of them left. Then believed they his words, they sang his praise, they soon forgot his works and waited not for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted the Lord in the heart, in the desert. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness unto their soul. They envied Moses also in the camp and Aaron, the saint of the Lord. And the earth opened up and swallowed it at up Dalton and covered the company of Abiram. And the fire was kindled in their company and the flames burned the, up the wicked. And they made a calf in Horeb and worshipped the molten image. Thus they changed their glory into the similitude of an, of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God their Savior which had done great things in Egypt. Wondrous works in the land of Ham and terrible things by the Red Sea. Wherefore he said that he would destroy them, had not Moses his chosen stood before him in the breach to turn away his wraths, lest he should be destroyed. Yea, they despised the pleasant land. They believed not his word, but murmured in their tents and hearkened not unto the voice of the Lord. Therefore he lifted up his hand against them to overthrow them in the wilderness, to overthrow their seed also among the nations and to scatter them in in the lands. They joined themselves also at Baal Beor and ate the sacrifices of the dead. Thus they provoked him to anger in their inventions, and plague broke out among them. Then stood Phineas to execute judgment, and so the plague was stayed, and was counted unto him for righteousness unto all generations forevermore. They angered him also at the waters of strife, so that it went ill with Moses for their sake, because they provoked his spirit, so that he spoke inadvisedly with his lips. They did not destroy the nations concerning whom the Lord commanded them, but were mingled among the heathen and learned their works. And they served idols, and which were a snare unto them. Yea, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils. They shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed unto the idols of, of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Thus were they defiled with their own works, and went whoring with their own inventions. Therefore was the wrath of God kindled against his people insomuch that he abhorred their inheritance and he gave them unto the hand of the heathen and they that hated them ruled over them and their enemies also oppressed them and they were brought into subjection under their hand many times did he deliver them and but they provoked him with their counsel and were brought low for their iniquity nevertheless he regarded their afflictions when he heard their cry and he remembered for their for their for them his covenant and repented according to the multitude of his mercies. He made them also to be pitied amongst those that carried them captive. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the heathen, and give thanks unto the holy name, and to triumph in thy praises. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say amen. Praise you the Lord. All right, so we're going to look at this one. It's another history, history song. You might, might recognize some of, the, some of the things that were in there. So starts out with the idea of praise you the Lord. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good and his mercy endures forever. 
praise, laud, extol, you know, give him, make him heavy with his praise. That's what glory is all about, is making him heavy with praise. But it says, praise you, the Lord. Give thanks unto the Lord. And again, this is the idea of praise and laud. Do you spend much time praising God in your prayers? Just saying, thank you, God, and you are wonderful, and you are mighty. mighty. Most of us probably don't spend enough time in prayer with praise that we want to give. On our prayer guide, we have the, the little abbreviation, ACTS. And it's adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and then supplication. And supplication should be the last thing that we do. We should spend some time just adoring God. Adoration, you know, God, you are wonderful, admiring him. Then we confess our sins before him, and then we give thanksgiving to him, and then we give him any new supplications or requests from him. Many people, when they pray, they kind of skip all the, the first three and go straight to supplications. God, give me. And keep forgiving to say thank you, and God, you're wonderful, and you're... Uh, and that, wonder, that adoration might just be singing a, singing a hymn to him or singing some some chorus to him and just giving glory to him and saying, God, you are wonderful. Whatever that means to you, whether it's by song or by, by prayer, but we really need to be coming before him and giving him adoration. They, these Psalms do that a lot. They give him his adoration. Praise you, the Lord. Give thanks unto him. Give him, give him adore him, make him strong. And why? For he is good. And there's, a, there's something that we, you've all heard many times in churches. God is good and the people reply and all the time and then they go all the time, God is good. You know, God is good. He loves us so much that he is going to give us good things. And anytime we think that something is bad that God has given us, we need to really take a look at it and it is for good. We may not see it as good right away. It may take us years even to see what the good is in it. But the thing we've got to remember is, in Romans 8.20 says, all things work together for good that are, for those that are called according to the purpose of God. Not, are, not that they are good, but that they work together for good. So anything that happens to us, we need to look and say, God, thank you. It's, I don't know how, but it's going to be for good. And we want to keep that in memory. And this is the statement here. Why do we give him praise? Because God is good. He gives us good things. He meets our needs. He says, I am your shelter. I am your protector. I am your one that is going to cover you. you know, in Psalm 23, he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God is our protector. He is the one that leads us. And he is good. And this is something to really grab hold of because Christianity and even Judaism is the only religion that has a good God that always does good. Every other religion out there has a God that is basically just a super strong human. They get angry. They get mean. They have no reason for a lot of the things that they do. They're, they're capricious. They get angry at you, and they'll just do whatever they want. And this is what all these gods are out there. They're fake. But God is good. He's not capricious. He doesn't love you one moment and, and hate you the next moment. If he's going to send punishment, it's because it's due. And we, and we look at that. And his mercy endures forever. God is merciful. He doesn't give humanity what they deserve. Even lost humanity, it doesn't get what they deserve immediately. He is merciful. Because if we got what we deserved, we'd be dead dead before we had a chance to get out of infancy. Because we were already sinful and and deserved punishment. You know, we we wouldn't even be born probably. You know, he was merciful to Adam and Eve when he just kicked them out of the garden. Even though they were dead spiritually, he kicked them out of the garden. He was merciful. He didn't kill them physically immediately. He gives us an, enough time and effort to be able to come to him, which is his mercy. And we've really got to understand how merciful God is. Even in the Old Testament, 
he is merciful because he doesn't destroy people for the very first thing they do wrong. He doesn't destroy them for the second, third, or fourth thing they do wrong in most cases. God knew what, he, what his plan was. We don't know what his plan was necessarily. And he knows the beginning from the end. He created us knowing that Adam and Eve was going to sin. He knew that it was going to cost him his son his life to be able to redeem us. And he still created man. And to me, that to me is one of the most bizarre things to even try to contemplate. Why would God create us knowing that the first parents were going to fail and that he would have to sacrifice his son to be able to redeem us? Verse 2, who can utter the mighty acts of God? Who can show forth all his praise? When we think about this, who can utter the acts of the Lord? And we see some of his actions. We don't understand anything about God in, in, in many ways. God is greater than anything that we can conceive. He is bigger than anything we can conceive. He is stronger than anything we can conceive. He has a plan that is far greater than anything that we can conceive. And this is what it's saying. Who can utter the mighty acts of God? And he's going to start in this psalm. He's going to continue to try to utter some of the mighty works of God. But he says, there's so much more. We do not even begin to see the tip of what God is doing, even in, with all the great things he's shown us in the word. When we read Revelation, we only see the tip of what God's trying to accomplish in it. Now, we get to know more about him and everything, but even then, what percentage do we know about what God's doing in this world? Probably very little. We might see a little bit of it as we get further away from it, say, wow, God, you did. Look at all, all these things you've arranged. But he is so mighty, so powerful, so great in acts. And it says, who can show forth all his praise? Who can really praise God for everything? We can't because we don't know everything to praise him for. All we can do is just give him great adoration. Because he is so much greater. So much greater. He has a plan that's so much deeper. And we've said this before. Every single individual that has ever lived or ever will live on this world, God has an individual plan for. And he knows whether they're going to fill it in or not fill it in. He's got these secondary plans for each place where they fail because he knows what they're going to do. But God has a personal plan for every one of us. And for those of us that are thick-headed and stubborn, he's got a plan that says, I'm going to take in your... your your stubbornness and be able to, to help you get through it. For those that are very compliant, he's got a plan that says, here we go. But he has that plan, and we will not fully ever understand any of it. We don't know how he knows it all, because he's just so much bigger than we are. And it says, we'll never be able to praise him for everything he's going to do, and we'll have all of eternity to praise him for all the things that he shows us that he did. Verse 3 Blessed are they that keep judgment, and he that does righteousness at all times. So it's happy are they that keep or guard judgment, and he that does righteousness at all times. Well, that second part is kind of poetic because nobody keeps righteousness at all times other than Jesus. And I don't believe this is talking about Jesus in this parallel. Uh, I think the, the psalmist is saying, Happy are those that keep his judgment, guard his judgments. And this is something that we need to be very careful of. Are we guarding his word? Are we guarding our life as we go forward? None of us are going to do it perfectly, but our desire should be really to serve God to, the, to as much as he's going to allow us to serve. How do we do that? We've talked about that this morning. We get into his word. We, we start changing the way we think. Because the more I get into his word, the more I start thinking like God, the more I become like him. And I can start getting closer and closer to keeping his, you know, guarding and keeping his judgments and being able to walk more perfectly as time goes on. And this should be the greatest sign of our growth in Christ is, as we look back, we are seeing that we are becoming more perfect. Not that we're ever going to be perfect, but I am, should be more perfect today than I was last year or 10 years ago or however far you can, need to go back as, as a Christian. I should be closer to perfection today than I, than I was in the past. And I was meeting with the 
pastor friend in Vegas yesterday, and we were talking about how many people we know that have not finished well in the Christian walk. And it's really a sad thing because I've watched so many people that instead of continuing forward with their walk with God, have almost abandoned God completely, and you're going, okay, were they, were they saved? You know, were, they, were they saved, or were they just totally gone insane in the latter part of their life and, and forgotten God? And it's kind of scary. And I, my prayer for me and those that I know and, and I'm around is that we will finish well, that we will continue walking with God and not fall away from him. Because it is so easy, and I've watched so many people in my lifetime really strong for God, going, going gangbusters, and then kind of fall off and not finish the race well. Many people in the Bible didn't finish well. Several of, several of the good kings of, Is, of uh, Judah did not finish well. Oh, no. I mean, it's human nature to drift away. I mean, our human nature is in the flesh and to, and to sin. So the, the thing we want to look at is, is my flesh going to keep crucifying? Am I going to keep depending on God? Because usually what ends up happening is we start thinking that somehow I deserve what I've gotten, all the good that I've done, and then we drift away and, and try to do it in our own strength. The scary thing is, do you drift away because you were never saved, or you just drift away because your sin is overwhelming you and you, and you fall away? And that is a hard decision that I'm not going to get into at this point because I can't judge that. Nobody can judge that because only God knows for sure whether you were saved in the first place and just had your, your flesh well-disciplined and uh, for those years that you looked like you were on top of the world or did you just kind of get a little self-righteous and, and fall away as you saw yourself becoming more and more closer and closer to God. Okay, I've got this. Now I can do it. Myself. Myself, I can do it myself. I can, I can do this, and you know, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you're you're no longer following the right path. So I can't say that they're not saved because it's not it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy that He has saved us. I mean, it's it's so important for us to understand that it's all Him. It's all by grace. But you're right. There's lots of people in the Abraham after he. After his wife died, it kind of you kind of look at his life and you wonder wonder about him because it kind of in the he marries Keturah, has a whole bunch of kids and and there's no righteousness listed in those in those last two chapters of his life. You look at Isaac. Isaac never really had a strong life that we see. Jacob started out poorly and seemed to end pretty good. You get a king like Josiah, really good king when he started. Then when his advisor died, which was the priest. He kind of went off the deep end you know, and did things that he shouldn't have done. Hezekiah got very proud and, and did some stupid things in the end of his life. It's full of examples of people that have done things didn't end well, which I think is why Paul, when he says, I am ready to, to give all, I have run the race, I have been successful, basically, he goes, I have kept the faith all the way through. Once I got there, I kept it. And we want our desire and our prayer needs to always be, God, help me stay firm to the end. Because it is very easy sometimes when we get too far along and along with God and we think, start thinking somehow, look what I have done. Look what I have done. Look what I have accomplished. So, you know, up to that point, we go and it's all God, it's all God, it's all God, it's all God. And then on somewhere along the lines, we oftentimes will get proud of and say, well, Man, I've accomplished so much. And that is when we're in danger of falling away from God. When I, when of I saying, God allowed me to Right. You know, you know, look what God did through me. And we need to be very careful of that. There's a fine line on that. Isn't there like decision making and stuff like that? Sure. Well, we wake up every day with the choice to be good or bad. Yeah, I mean, there's things that you, I mean, there are certain things that my decision-making is to allow God to lead me in all that I do. This is why our minds have to be changed through the, through, the, through the Word. Because most of our decisions really are just those kind of decisions. I just do something without thinking about it. And that goes into what is in the, who, what is in the core of my belief system. If I'm in God's Word and He's changing my mind to be more like Him, then as I make those decisions that are him making those decisions through me, even though I don't realize that it's him making the decision through me, 
then I make my decisions to be more like God. And that's why it becomes easier to walk with God as we get more mature in Christ. Because I'm changing the way I think. I'm changing the way I think. But that is also when I get to a very dangerous place in my life because I'm starting to make decisions without really thinking about it. And then I start thinking, well, look at what I am doing rather than what God is doing through me. And then as soon as I change that I in there, I'm in trouble. Because I'm going to start doing things that are the I-centered rather than God-centered. You've got to get rid of the I and it's got to stay I. It's got to stay crucified in our life. And this is what I've said. The moment we think that we're strong in, er in some area, we better look out because that's where we're going to fall. That's where we'll be challenged. Because we're going to take our guard off that area. We're going to think that somehow I've gotten total victory in this. And if you ever have something in your life to say, I would never fall in this area or this would never happen to me, look out. And my example is if somebody, when I was a teenager, I would have said, if somebody would have told me there's going to come a day when you're not going to go to church, I would have laughed at them saying, there's no way that's ever going to happen. Then I got married. I started having a job. I started working, you know, 60, 80 hours a week. And the next thing I know, I wasn't going to church. But it was just one of those things, you know, I took my guard off that area of my life. And as soon as we take our guard off that area of the life, it becomes a weakness to us and Satan can take advantage of it. This is the problem that we have. We start growing in Christ and then we start getting complacent with who the power is in our life because we've become familiar with that power and we go and it's not that big a deal. I, you know, look what, look what I've, look where I'm at. I've, I've got it. I've got it made. I'm not going to fall in this area. I'm going to follow God with all my heart for the rest of my life and all of a sudden you find yourself in a bad place. We, get, we stop praying, we stop studying, whatever it might be. Slowly we drift away from God and before we know it, it's like, like I said, you know, I found myself all of a sudden not going to church, you know, in a time when I never would have dreamed of it. And it wasn't a decision that I just made, I just kind of drifted the wrong direction. Yeah, life, life sidetracked me. You know, blindsided me and, you know, I wasn't paying attention. This can happen, though, in any area of our life where we go, this is, I've got it. This was, I've got this. And as soon as we get this, I've got this mentality, we're in trouble. And that's what you want to be at. You want to be there, but don't get complacent in that because it's easy after a while. It, it's something that becomes, we make it where it almost becomes a habit and we no longer think about it. And it's that point where we stop thinking about the praise of God, the honor of God, the being in his word, the, the God is my refuge, that we can, we'll find ourselves at a place of a crossroad that can get us in trouble. And I have seen very strong Christian people all of a sudden start going down the wrong path. And it's like, how did they get there? Well, they started depending in their own flesh and their own, in their own life. So is it safe to say that by us doing like a morning devotional at the beginning of our day, then it starts our day out better in our walk. I've always advocated that. Is that safe to say? Always Usually, put your mind on God the from the beginning of your day. And my experience with it is whatever I read that morning and pray and spend time with is usually what I need to get through that day. And what's really amazing is if I didn't do it in the morning and I try to catch it up in the nighttime, I'm going, oh, I sure could have used these verses all day long. So it's, I really advocate get in and, you, and start your day with God. But even that, you, even doing that, you want to be careful because if you're not taking and applying it to your life, it's just a routine and, a, and an exercise. It's got to be something that is focusing on God and opening your day in prayer. But the, but the major point on this is really to finish well, we need to really stay focused on God. Because if we stop focusing on him, we will fall. And if we're not careful, we'll fall very hard and deep. And we need to keep this focus on God to say, God, you are special. You are the one that's going to keep me. And I've seen many pastors that have the same problem. They start, they totally dependent on God. Every message has to be dependent on God. Then after a few years, they're starting to realize, well, I can teach. I don't need God. And next thing you know, they're who knows where they're at. They've totally left the ministry in many cases or totally left God. It's easy to do and we need to be praying number one for each other but also for ourselves because it is easy to drift away from God and say, 
I'm falling in my own strength. But it is what happens in the flesh. We need to be always on guard for any of those kind of mentality in our life because it is very easy to think that we're more important than we are. Well, I'm not saying you know, even, even, I'm just saying it's easy for us to get there, especially when you start seeing successes within God. And this is very critical because that becomes the time when your real test is. When God lets you be successful at something, and it's very easy to, to start getting into this, look what I have accomplished, look what I have done. And even the most humble person can get wrapped up in this temptation of look what I have accomplished. And we need to be very, very careful about that because God is going to bless us. And that is when you're at your most dangerous place spiritually is when you start getting the blessings. And I've shared this with you. Some people get material blessings and it ends up taking them away from the church because they buy their quad, they buy their camper, they buy their boat, they buy their, their summer ski, you know, ski lodge or whatever it might be. Then the next thing is, I've got all this stuff, I've got to use it. And when am I going to use it? I've got to use it on the weekends. So the next thing you know, you haven't been in church for six months and, everybody, and then it becomes even easier to stay away from God. When we are being blessed by God, we are probably at our most dangerous place to stay focused on him. There's times when we fully recognize that, but it, when we're being blessed, that is when we start having our greatest opportunity to be brought down. Our biggest target because we start thinking somehow I deserve this or I'm being blessed. I, you know, whatever, whatever it is that Satan uses to attack us. And for each person, it's going to be slightly different. For the really humble person, they might just get so humble and so that they also start taking pride in their humility, get taken away. Can't win. You can't, well, you can't win. Satan is going to be able to attack you at whatever weakness you present to him. And he, your strength can often be your weakness because you don't guard it. You can win, but you have to win through Jesus Christ. Yeah, win through Jesus. We let our guard down when everything's going right. When everything's going wrong in your life, it's real easy to stay focused on God because everything's going wrong and you go, God, I need your help. When everything seems to be going good, there's a lot of people that go, God, I don't need you anymore. You know, everything's going good. Now, we don't start that way, but all of a sudden we get to this place where in our mind we'll say, oh, everything's going good. I can let my guard down. I don't, have to, I don't have to petition God as much. And actually, Robert and I were talking about that a little earlier today. You know, it's just when you're in a blessed place, it becomes a lot easier to be, to be brought down. Solomon is a great example of that. But we want to be very careful because anytime we think that we're not going to get someplace, we're, we're in a danger. Hey, verse 4. Remember me, O Lord, with the favor that you bear unto your people and visit me with your salvation. Remember me, God. Visit me. I love this, this verse. Visit me with your salvation. We all need him in all of our life. God is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are saved. That's one of the verses in Proverbs. You know, he's our tower. We run to him. We hide in him. If you want to go through some really hard times in life, don't run into God and try to take care of it all on your own. And you'll get beat up pretty good by, God, by, by Satan and the world. Hide in God at all times. Because that's what he's asking us to do. He knows that we're weak. He knows that we're frail. He knows that we are nothing but dust. In God's, in God's economy, we're just a vapor. Our entire life is just a quick vapor. It's here and gone. He says, I'm here to take care of you. Just trust in me. And again, this goes back to this. Do I take care of myself or do I, take care of, do I let God take care of me? How much am I going to be dependent upon God? And it's very easy for us to walk away and try to be dependent on ourselves and not depend on God, especially when we're being blessed. And again, I'm, I'm emphasizing this. The most dangerous time you have in your spiritual walk is when you're being blessed because it's easy to start drifting away from him because we let down our guard, we let down our dependency on him so often. And I'm not saying everybody, but if somebody's going to fall, it's usually at a time when they're being blessed. 
it's pretty easy when things are going wrong to turn to God because we know we need him. So we want to be careful. He is the one He says, visit me, God, visit me. Verse 5, that I may see the good of your chosen, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. God chooses people. And sometimes we don't like that idea, but God chooses. And what that means, I don't know. I don't know how he chooses. I don't know why he chooses, but he chooses. And we have to deal with that mentality that God makes choices. He said, Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. And that was before they were born. Neither one of them had done a thing to, to deserve anything. And yet God said, Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. Now, did he say that because he knew the decisions that each of them were going to make? It's possible. I have problems with that mentality because that means that God is not sovereign. If he's making his choices based on what we do, he's making us sovereign. And that's not a true statement. God is sovereign. So we have to be very careful with, with that because the easy answer is that God knew what they were going to do and he bent his will to their will. And I'm not, I have serious problems with that. It's very hard to wrap it around. But God knows the beginning from the end and he has a plan for every single person. He is sovereign. In our mentality as Americans, we don't understand sovereignty. Because we look at it and say, well, I don't like my government. I'm, re I'm replacing them in four years or I'm going to vote to replace them. Most of the world can't do that. I'm thinking more of places where you literally have a sovereign and there's still a handful of places that have a king or a dictator. <laughs> and you can't replace those people. You, are, you do what you're told by those people because they are basically God of that land. God is the sovereign of this universe and he is going to have his will. Okay, Whether he kind of forces it like he did with Saul of Tarsus now, Saul of Tarsus riding a horse to Damascus to go arrest Christians. Gets a bright light, says it's hard to kick against the pricks, the pricking of the, the goad. Could Saul of Tarsus say, well, God, I don't, I don't want to, I don't, I'm not going to follow you because I don't believe that you're this person. Theoretically, yes, he had the free will to be able to say, no, I'm not following this God that just knocked me off my horse and blinded me. <laughs> now, nobody in their right mind... <laughs> would have said, no, I'm not going to serve this God who just knocked me off my horse and blinded me. Did Saul of Tarsus choose God, or did God choose him and make him make a decision? That's a hard thing to come to. Yes, he made a decision on his own free will, kind of. Saul, the first king of Israel, picked out of the, amongst, the, amongst the people, hiding in amongst the baggage, was pulled out from amongst the baggage and made king. Now, he probably could have told everybody, no, I don't want to be king and, and you know, get over it. But God said, you're going to be king. Okay. Jonah tries to run the opposite direction from when God said, go to Nineveh. He runs to go to Spain. <laughs> okay. Or Tarshish, which was Spain, in Spain. God says, sends a storm, sends him into a great fish, sends him back to Nineveh. Even then, he could have said, no, I'm not going back to Nineveh. But he's probably looking at, okay, God's making me come here. What, what else will he do to me if I try to run the other direction? We need to be very careful. But God is sovereign and can make what he wants happen to happen. Now, there's still free will. You know, each one of those people had decisions to make even after God basically forced them into their decisions. All of Saul of Tarsus becomes Paul and writes you know, and was very successful in his missionary trips and was very honorable to God. Jonah goes to Nineveh, preaches a message, gets mad at God because God saves the people of Nineveh and spares them, and has a long conversation with God about how he was going, you know, I knew you were going to do this anyway, so I knew I didn't have to come here because I knew you'd spare the people, and gets an entire city and nation saved, saved for a short period of time, but is very unhappy about it. You got Saul, the first king of Israel, who totally goes back against God in the long run and totally goes against God. So they had free will in each of their areas once they, made, once they were forced into the decision that God wanted them to make. So we want to be very careful because, yes, we have free will, but it is free will that's under the command of God, and God can make things happen. And he's going to be the one who really can make things happen. And I use this with an example with employees or even with my kids at 
There were times when I set up the situation that I knew they would make the decision that I wanted them to make, but they would think that it was their decision. Because I framed things in such a way. Now, did it work all the time? No. But in most cases, in many, especially at work, I was able to frame this so that people would do what, they, what I wanted them to do, and they believed that it was their idea to do it, that they free will chose what I wanted them to, to choose. How many times has God done that to us? He has set up a series of events to us that we make a decision that is what he wants us to do. We think it's our decision, because we, but we made the decision only because there really wasn't any other decision to make. Where does God's sovereignty meet free will? I think it's more complicated than anybody ever contemplates. God will be a master at being able to make us think it's our free will as he, as he manipulated us into doing what he wanted us to do. And we're, this is why we want to be very careful. I, have, I know people have a huge problem with the idea of election and predestination, but God is sovereign. He's going to do what he wants to do, whether we participate willingly or unwillingly, he can make it happen. He is sovereign. He will say, you are going to do it if it comes down to it. Because, especially when you're saved, because you're his child, you're his servant, you're his, you're his, in, you're his possession. He may make you do things that you didn't, didn't ever think you wanted to do. But, and, you, and your obedience will be given to your credit in, anyway. And then there's other places where we want to serve him and we think that we're choosing him. And we may or may not be choosing him. I'm not going to get too far into that. But we're going to be rewarded for having chosen him regardless, even if he, even if he manipulated us into, into it. But it's good that then, I don't even know, I'm not getting saved, that we, we didn't make the right choice, and he's the one that did it for us. Yes. It's like, well, I just said early, so then it wasn't me, it was him. He knew what I was going to do in the first place. Yeah. So. But he always knows what we're going to do. And this is... And he's going to bring you back up. Now, this is something we want to be looking at. And like I say, he is sovereign. He will get his way. And there's all kinds of pictures in the Bible of him getting his way. You know, we look at Balaam, and Balaam is trying to go get money. You know, God says, don't go, don't go, don't go. And he says, you know, okay, you can go, but you can only, you know, well, actually what he said is, if they come again, you can go with them. But he went to go to them. Okay, so he was disobedient from the very beginning. He went to them and said, okay, I can go. <laughs> they did not come to him a fourth time to, to take him. So he was already in disobedience with what God had told him, and he wanted to go so he could get rich. He wanted the money. This is even before that. Yeah. He, they came to him three times, and he goes, God, I really want to go with them, God. And God told him, if they come again, you can go with them. So he went out to them. If you read the story, it's a very interesting story. So he was in disobedience by going to them and leaving with them because God said, if they come to you, go. And then he, then, his, then he ends up beating the donkey, and the donkey talks to him, and he ends up realizing that he can only say what God gives him to say. And numbers, I think it's 21 or something. It's in numbers. But we want to be able to keep this in mind. God is the master. And we need to keep in mind that he is master. And this is why I bring, bring it up. We as his people, his children, have a greater obligation to him than the rest of the world anyway because he is our Lord. Okay, he is sovereign of the world whether they recognize it or not, but we have made a decision to make him our Lord and Savior, which means he's going to make us do things sometimes regardless because he needs us to do it. Now, he could, like I say, he could manipulate us into thinking it was our decision and we serve him, which is fine. I don't care how it, I don't care how it worked out. If it's, but in the long run, whether he makes us do it we still get the reward for, for serving him because he's the one that's going to do it anyway. We can't get a reward without him doing it. So whether he makes us do it or we choose to do it, there will be a reward as long as we have the right attitude in it. 
And so here we see he wants us to be our salvation. And he says, I want to see the good of your chosen. I want to see how you bless your chosen people. I want to you, you show favor to you people. You know, show me the gladness of your nation. I rejoice in the gladness of your nation. We need to rejoice in the victories of one another as a church. This is one of the reasons we share with one another what God has shown us and what he's doing through us so that we can rejoice. Man, that is so wonderful. I love hearing that about what God has done. That should be our response when people share that. You know, oftentimes, though, we kind of get jealous. Well, why is God using that person like that? <laughs> you know, that's, that's the human response. That's not the response we're supposed to have. Yeah, you get to back to the me. You get to get to back to the me, the eyes. God, you're not using me like that. Uh, this is, as we see later on in here, the, the people got jealous of Moses and Aaron because of their position. And we saw how God responded in that in, in, the, very, in the many areas. But he says, that I may glory in your inheritance. Anything we get is, God, is from God anyway. Our blessings are all from God. And when we go to the Bema Seat as Christians, and he takes all of the works that we, have, that we have done on this world and he throws them into the fire. The things that are going to burn are the things that I did. Whether they're good or bad doesn't really matter. And I've talked about this. Wood, hay, and stubble. Stubble is worthless. You can't really use stubble for anything. That's your twigs and your, and your leaves and everything. It's worthless stuff. <laughs> you no, know, not the stubble on your face. Well, usually you used hay. Hay is what they would use, straw. straw. Hay and straw have value. Making bricks, you can bundle it, you can feed animals, you can, you know, it has value. When you get to the wood, wood is pretty substantial stuff. We build the houses out, we build structures out. Much of what we do in our flesh can be very valuable in this world. It can be of great structure. It can be of of setting up things, but if it's done by me, it will burn. Now, what I do that might be wood, when I teach, if I'm teaching in my own strength, it might be wood. It's substance, it's, it's going to help people. For somebody else receiving it, it might be gold and silver in their life because it was something they needed to hear, or it could be wood in their life too. And it'll burn up when it gets judged. What will stand is what God does through us. The silver and the gold will be what he does through us. And what he does through us will survive and will be rewarded for what he does. And as I've said more than once, I love God's plan. He does the work and I get the reward. You know, everybody's looking for that kind of job, aren't they? Somebody else does the work and I get paid. That's the kind of job they really want. That's God's way of doing it, though. He works through us. He does the work and then he gives us the reward. We get the wage for letting him work. And we get the reward for in heaven for letting him do the work through us. I like that plan. That's the kind of plan that all people are looking for. And that's the spiritual plan that he has for us. He does the work and he then rewards us for letting him do the work through us. So it's a wonderful plan that he has. We all kind of like that. Then he starts going into some of the negative things. He goes, verse 6. We have sinned with our fathers, and we have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. And he's looking at where they're at at that particular time. And if you look at David's life, and I'm believing this is in David's time period, David did a lot of things that hurt his nation. Many of his sins cost the nation because he was king. He, he committed the sin and the people paid for it. He counted the people to see, take pride in the number of the people and God judged the people because of David's sin and the people suffered. He let things happen and, he, and the people suffered. This is something that is, we need to be aware of, especially if you're a leader in any way, shape, or form. If you're a father or a, or a leader in any group, when you do the wrong things, you're the people under you suffer. And this is where we need to be careful. And he's saying, we have sinned. We have sinned with our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have done wrong. We have done wicked. It says, verse 7, Our fathers understood not the wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of his mercies, but provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea. 
And we see this, and if you remember the story in Exodus, 10 plagues destroys Egypt. They're, they're wandering out into the wilderness, and immediately they start grumbling and griping. They get to the Red Sea and go, the sta statement we hear so often is, there weren't enough graves in Egypt. You brought us out here so that we could be buried out here in the wilderness. Why did they do that? Because Pharaoh chased after them. And you know what? From the flesh's point of view, it makes a lot of sense. Here's the mightiest army in the world chasing after us. And here we are with our backs to the Red Sea. We have no place to run. We don't even know how to fight. And the strongest army in the world at that time is coming toward us. From a world and fleshly point of view, it made all the sense in the world to gripe and complain. But they had just seen God devastate Egypt's economy and win over all their gods. And again, I keep bringing up, even though we look at this, we do the same thing. We watch God do mighty things in our life, in our church, in our, and around us. And then we re go, God, well, what, are you, what have you done for me lately, God? You know, that was last week. What are you doing? What have you done this week for me? And we and we do the same thing they did. God, that was that was three days ago that you did all this to to Egypt. You know, but what have you done for us today? Here, here they're coming after us. I, again, I bring us up to this thing. We do the same thing in our life. God, you blessed me last week. You blessed me last month. But what have you done for me this month? What have you done for me today? And we're maybe not being quite that blunt, but really, isn't that what we're doing when we don't trust Him? God, you've been good to me in the past. I don't know that you'll be good for me in the future. And in human terms, it's what have you done for me lately? And it's the way humans react to one another. But it's the idea of getting our focus off of myself and saying God is my, God is my defender. He is my provider. But our human nature, and again, this is what we have to keep aware of. Our human nature is against God's way of doing things all the time. And it is always in this place where, you know, he's always been faithful to me in the past. That should encourage me to be able to trust him. But our flesh keeps going, what have you done lately? You know, you haven't, it's been, it's been six hours since you've done anything for me. It's been, it's been a day and a half since I really felt you doing anything for me. Our flesh gets in the way. And this is, again, why we need to be in his word and having our mindset. God, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You've been good to me in the past. You will be good to me in the future. You've protected me in the past. You will protect me in the future. You have done whatever it is, and you will do it in the future. You have tested me in the past. You will do it in the future. <laughs> we don't usually want that part, but it is true that he's going to test us in the future. He is always going to test to see are we going to trust in him. And this is one of the reasons I keep using the term when things seem to be bad, when things seem to be wrong. All of those are God's test. Are we going to trust him in spite of what we see? And we're humans. We look at what we see and we try to make our, our bets on what we see. And God's saying, no, I want you to have faith in me that I'm going to continue to meet that I am true. And sometimes it's hard. And a matter of fact, we know that it is hard because he's going to keep making the test harder and harder as we grow in those areas to say, okay, you've gone this far. Are you willing to take it to the next step? Are you willing to trust me in the next step? And this is why I said when I read the book by, about George Mueller's biography, it was amazing that God took him from just depending on him for some money for school to then over the years teaching him to be faithful in, in, in his uh, ministries as a pastor where he said, I'm not going to run things the way it's always been. I'm going to take whatever money the people give to me. And this was at a time when they sold the seats in the church, and the best seats had the highest price, and people would pay to sit, and that money went to the pastor. And he says, no, we're not doing that anymore. I'm going to take whatever the people are willingly going to give. And the people laughed at him, and, well, you know, well, that's not going to work. And yet God blessed him. <clears throat> then he gets at the end of his life, and he's running orphanages and schools and, and supporting missionaries and spending extreme amounts of money that he didn't have because God provided it for him. At one point, he was spending 200 pounds a month in the 1800s. That was a fortune, a fortune going out each month. And he was dependent on, totally dependent on God for the money. 
How did he get there at that, to, toward that point where he was trusting God for a fortune every month? Small steps to the point where God's saying, how, how faithful will you be? How trusting will you be for me? God does the same thing for us. Small steps to the point where all of a sudden we start doing great things for him because we're starting to trust him in greater and deeper and, and stronger ways. But it all comes down to faithful in a little, he'll give you much. But you have to be faithful in the much. And then when you're faithful in what is much at the one time, he'll give you much more. And if you're faithful in the much more, he'll give you much, much more. But you have to stay faithful in each step of the way as you go forward with him. And he's got this process where he's saying, how faithful will you be? And he will stop. When you, when you stop being faithful, he'll stop moving you forward until you can learn to be faithful with that level that he's given you because he's got that test for us. Here is your reward. Keep giving, keep giving, keep moving forward. And the more we're faithful, the more he'll give us. We get to the place where we think that we can do it all and we're not going to be faithful of what he gives us and he goes, okay, we're going to stop here until you're ready to learn. And hopefully we learn and we don't go backwards and lose what we have. But he says here, the, we're provoked him at the sea. You know, that was one of those times where God could have said, okay, you're going to get what you deserve. But he did and he gave him mercy. He opened the Red Sea for him. Can you imagine that? Even, even if they crossed in one of the places where it is the, the shallowest, it's still 150, 200 feet down. And then the ground was all dry. And it was dry when he yeah. went through. It wasn't murky. You're talking about going through a canyon of water. Yeah. And that takes faith in and of itself to walk through there with these walls of water. Looking at the walls of water saying, okay, are they going to fall down? You know, are, you know, how long are these walls going to stay up? Yeah, I kind of, I've kind of wondered because I've seen people show the pictures of fish, you know, swimming up to the, swimming up to the wall of water. I wonder if they actually saw anything like that. You know, it'd be kind of interesting. Uh, one, of, one of those straight, yeah, that may be true too. That may be true too that they just. Yes, they, yes, they did. They saw because it says that in, in, in Exodus it says that they saw the bodies floating in there. Well, the chariots probably didn't float, but okay, let's uh, close here. We. <laughs> Lord, we just thank you for this day. We do ask you, Lord, that you help us learn to be dependent upon you. Help us always to go forward with you and to finish well in our walk with you. Help us to stay strong and, and be changing our minds to be like you. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.